Well, I want to say that it's so great to be back. I, um, I miss you more than, more than I can say. And it's not such a good idea to let me get away for any length of time because I've studied too much. And uh, I've got so much I want to say that uh, uh, first and foremost, I want to thank Anthony and uh, the worship team for leading us in music. Thank you so much for that. I also want to thank Pastor Dan for, uh, for the two weeks that I was gone. I understand what a great job he did, and I, I want to thank him too. And thank you all for just being faithful to being here. Um, we had uh, some people help us move this morning. We went from one office into another office. And uh, for those that, that helped, thank you so much. It's very kind of you to, to help us move from one place to another. Uh, things are happening here, and it's uh, an exciting time. And, and uh, would you turn with me, please? Let's not, uh, let's not wait anymore. Let's get into uh, the book of Romans. Would you turn with me, please, to the third chapter? It's a very interesting place. What we are seeing now is that, is that Paul is making a case against anybody and everybody that wants to reject the whole idea of, of faith. And, uh, but they want to do with it as they wish. Now, the first group of people that Paul spoke against was those that had absolutely no, no care for God. In fact, they were the type of people who de- denied the very existence of God himself. And Paul said to them in chapter 1, if you remember with me, verses 18 to 32, he said, look, even though you say there is no God, even though you say that there is no existence of God, he says you are without excuse. Reason being, Paul says, God has made himself known to you. There's no doubt in, in, in anybody's mind that God has made himself known to you. You just have rejected it. You just have placed it in a place where you don't want to deal with it. Now, I can relate to that. I, I, I will just, just share a portion of my testimony. I got to a place in my life that I... I knew, I told people this before, the best thing I had going for me as a young man was that nobody had to tell me I was going to go to hell. In fact, I decided in my heart that there couldn't be a hell. Nobody would send a person to hell forever. And so I decided there would be no hell. And to make things even, I said, okay, and there's no heaven either. We just die. You live and and you eat, you drink, and you be married, you die, and that's the end of it. But deep within my soul, I knew better. I knew that if there was a judgment to come, I was going to fall short. And so Paul is speaking to that type of person. In chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, he says, For those of you who are ungodly or, or ignorant to the fact of God, I want to say to you, you're without excuse. God's made himself known to you. The next group of people he talked to were the self-righteous, those who in chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 16, they said, you're right, Paul, these are terrible people. We're not like them. We understand our idea of truth, and not only that, but we believe that we've done enough good things that we can work our way to heaven. And Paul says, no, no, on the contrary. He says to them in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, you too are without excuse because your standard of truth is not God's standard of truth. And your idea of doing good things, God says, apart from him, all that we do 
of righteousness in our own is like a filthy rag. It's of no value. And so he says that you cannot hope to gain the righteousness of God by doing good things. You can't work your way to heaven. The next group of people that he spoke to was the last we met a couple of weeks ago when I was with you. And that was in chapter 2 from verses 17 to 29. And Paul concentrated upon the people who called themselves Jews, who believed that their religious rights and their religious heritage, uh, their, their whole idea of having a covenant with God, that that was enough to take them to heaven, to take them into the kingdom of God. In fact, the, Paul uses the whole idea of their being circumcised. Their being circumcised would save them from God's coming judgment. And Paul's point is the very essence of what he is trying to teach here in Romans. And that is the fact that he is going to warn everybody who will listen to him that nothing can save a person apart from God's plan. And what he is going to introduce to them is God's plan is his son, Jesus Christ, who came to live on this earth, who went to die on the cross, who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. In fact, let me just jump ahead with you to next week. Please forgive me. But, but I do want to tell you, I, that's the problem with me having too much time off. I study too much, and, and I, I jump ahead, and, and I'm not that type of teacher. I want to have little chunks that I've got to teach that I feel like I know, but now I feel like I know too much. But look with me, please. Look at chapter 3. Look what Paul says. He's going to jump upon those in, in chapter 3 and verse 9. We'll stop at verse 8 tonight. In verse 9, he says, look, do you think you're better than them? No, you're not. I've already charged that both Jew and Greek are all under sin. And then he goes on to say there's none of us who are righteous. And then he says in verse 19, watch what Paul, watch how Paul presents his case. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And folks, you and I do not want to be under the law. We've already learned that if you break one little letter of the law, you're guilty of all. So he says, for those who are, 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 are under the law, he says, you, you well, excuse me, I, I jumped ahead, but it says in verse 19 that, that we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and that all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But, verse 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested or seen or shown, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. And that's where Paul is taking us. And that's where I want to take us. I, I want to present to us as a church a, a sense of, of who we are in Christ Jesus. As Paul takes us through this process of talking to those who have rejected God, those who think they're self-righteous, and all who think that because of, of some right, some religious uh, system that we do, that we make ourselves right with God our way. And Paul's saying that that will not take place. Now, so Paul's point was to warn those people. And so the question that is asked in chapter 3 that we will read tonight 
It has to do with the outward badge. It has to do with God's special covenant with his people that he made with the Jews, namely circumcision. Because, as it said, in, as we learn in chapter 2, Paul was in danger, the people thought, of erasing the distinction that God made between himself and the Jews. They reasoned, look, if Jew and Gentile is alike, if we are on the same footing before God, then what is the advantage of being a Jew? What good is circumcision? We have been taught all our life that we are a chosen people. We are circumcised. What advantage is that for us? We have just learned if circumcision does not make one righteous, and if someone who is uncircumcised, that doesn't rule out their chance of being righteous, then what profit is there for the Jew? The covenant and the distinction that they have with God seems not to be special at all. They're telling Paul, Paul, you're going against everything that we know about our religion. So what's the advantage? What's the benefit? Now what I would like to do in this message, and all that we're talking about, is to move it from the Jews to the church. Let's, 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 let's make this compromise. What advantage, what benefit is there for you and me to go to church? What's the advantage of it? What's the benefit? What is the reason that, 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 that if we do good works, does that mean anything before God? If we give unto the Lord, does that mean anything before God whatsoever? What advantage is there for us? And what we are going to see, Paul is going to teach, that for Jew as well as for Gentile, the advantage isn't the things that you do. The advantage is who you are within your very innermost being. Your circumcision, he would say, does not come through the flesh. It comes through the what? Your heart. The church that you go to, the, 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 the way you worship the Lord has nothing to do with those outward things. It has to do with what's inside of your heart. The very essence of who you are before God. And that's what Paul wants to do. You see, he's not been to Rome. He's not met these people. And so he's going to break them down to a place where the only, the only place they can look is up. And they have nothing to bring with them when they look up. Except for one thing. You know what it is? Faith. That's it. They come to, to the Lord the same way everyone comes to the Lord. You, me, everybody naked. And with just our faith that he will, he will save us. And that's what Paul is doing. It's absolutely beautiful. Paul's reasoning and teaching here is, is beyond anything that I can do for you. And, and so I want to read with you the first eight verses of chapter 3. And then I want to pray. And I want to ask God, please, to move me out of the way. This is such a valuable place in the Word. And it is, it is some, of this place, some of this is a little difficult to understand. You see, what we're going to read in a minute is they're going to reason with Paul. Okay. And this happens all the time. You're going to see it also in Romans chapter 6. 
in, in any time and every time that the Word of God is taught clearly. You teach grace. In other words, your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. Is that correct? Yes. And the Lord says, I remember your sin, what? No more. And I say to you by the authority of the Word of God that your sin, those that you have done, are all forgiven and forgotten. But also the sin that you are going to do falls under the cross as well. All sin is paid for by the, a believer. When Paul teaches that as beautifully as he does, the first response is, then why should I stop sinning? Why don't I keep on sinning and make God look even kinder? <laughs> now, that's the kind of thinking that you're going to read here in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. That's what they're thinking. I don't understand that type of thinking. Now, I understand a lot of things that are not, you know, I can get some of it. But never in my life, when I wasn't a believer, did I ever think, I'm going to keep on sinning just in case to make God look better. It just wasn't my thought. I, I had way too much guilt. It was hard for me to do that. It wasn't hard for me to sin. I was, I was a sinner. I'm still a sinner. But the point is, I could never think that way. But these people do. Let me show you. Look, look with me at chapter 6. Let me show you. Look, look, what they, look what they say. Same thing they're saying here, by the way. Look at, well, actually, look at chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 20, it says, The law came in that the transgressions might increase. Whoa, look at there. Transgression is like sin. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the, right, through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. It is what is being said here in chapter 3, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. What shall we say then? This is a question they're asking to Paul as he's teaching them about grace, God's unmerited favor. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? I can't think like that. That's a, a, a subject for me to try to teach that is foreign to me. I don't understand that thinking. But that's what Paul is addressing here. Now, I have known and I have understood and talked to some people. It says, I, I remember once we had a Bible study. Oh, this was really something. I told you this before, but let me, it's worth repeating if you hadn't heard it. I was in a Bible study with, the, I'll even tell you who the team was, the Rams. Bunch of big guys, strong big guys. We have a Bible study. And one of the guys came in that came to the Bible study some of the time, said, hey, you guys, I got a, forgive me, ladies, I have a hot date tonight. And he says, I'm no telling what's going to happen, and I might get in a lot of trouble. He says, would you guys pray with me that I, I, I really have a great time? I looked around the room, and I thought, whoa. And he kind of addressed me to pray for him that he could go out and really have a great time. And Jackie Slater, who was a big, big offensive guard, tackle with the Rams, big guy. I, I thank God for Jackie because Jackie spoke up. I didn't have to say a word. He said, Jackie said, we're not going to do no such thing. He went over and grabbed this guy. This guy was a defensive back, so he was about half the size of Jackie. He grabbed him, he grabbed him by the nap of his shoulder and said, you aren't going anywhere. 
you're staying right here by me through this Bible study. And he sat him down right alongside of him. And I'm telling you, that guy couldn't move. And that guy wanted us to pray for the sin he was going to commit that God would forgive him in advance. Now, I have heard of some people do that. I have heard of people saying, well, I'm in it. I might as well do it, and I'll confess it later. I have heard that. But this is foreign to me, what Paul is teaching here. Not the first part. first part I grasp very clearly. Now, read with me. Have we read it already? We haven't read the first eight verses. Read with me the first eight verses. Listen to this. Listen. This is a question the Jews are going to ask Paul. What advantage has the Jew? What is the benefit of circumcision? Paul answers in verse 2, great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, will their unbelief, no, their unbelief will not nullify the the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be, Paul says. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written that you might be justified in your words and you might prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? Paul then says, I am speaking in human terms. I want to stop there just for a second. I don't normally do this. But what Paul is doing here is saying, look, this isn't something that God would have written. This is something that is man's logic. So let me speak in terms of a human, that your logic, that you can sin and make God look better. So that's what he's saying. May I read verse six again? May verse 5 again to you? But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? Paul says, I am speaking in human terms. May it never be, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and some affirm that we do say, let us do evil so that good may come? He answers by saying, their condemnation is just. Or in other words, their judgment is deserved. Now, let's pray. and let's, let's, This is such a beautiful place in the Word of God. Paul is an amazingly brilliant man. Father, please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Oh, oh, Father, please let me not get in the way of this message. It's much too valuable. There is too much in it, Father, for me to, to interfere with what you want to say to all of us. And so, Father, move me aside. Move me aside, dear Lord, so that I might not take away from anything that you want to say to any one of us here tonight. And God, bless this time. Bless the people who are here, who come on a Saturday evening to church. Lord, bless them, please. And Father, bless us all. May we honor you. We pray in Jesus' most precious name.
Amen. Here's the point. The natural question was raised by the Jews. Paul had just spelled out the fact that being a Jew and being circumcised was no guarantee for righteousness, nor was it a guarantee for their being accepted into the kingdom of God. That was against everything they had ever learned. You can read through the Old Testament over and over and over again. The Jews are called God's chosen people. He he passed on His covenant from one, one generation to the next. They felt secure in the fact that they were Jews. Listen to Deuteronomy. Don't turn there. Just listen. Deuteronomy 10.15 On your fathers, the Bible says, did the Lord set His affection to love them. Love your dads. And He chose their descendants. In other words, all of you after them to do the same, to love them till the end of this time, till this day it says. Now there are many other verses we could find, but Paul clearly pointed out in chapter 2 that being a physical descendant of Abraham does not qualify anyone for being a spiritual descendant of Abraham. The mark of God's Spirit, Paul taught, had to be in a person's heart, not an outward mark of circumcision of the flesh. That, Paul has just reasoned with them, was worthless. Let me me talk to us about church. Uh, Same thing. We might say the same question from our point of view. What's the advantage of us going to church, of giving? What is it? The mark of the Spirit with someone who goes to church is not the outward signs of what happens in a church, but the inward sign of what happens within a heart. Once the heart has been pierced, then all the outward things that we do are a bonus. It is a a way of showing our love for the Lord as we serve Him. Now, Paul says, here's what you got going for yourself as a Jew. In verse 2, first of all, he says, what's your advantage? Your advantage is great, he says. First of all, he says, you have been entrusted with the oracles. In other words, the Word of God. God has entrusted His Word to you. The great advantage that Israel enjoyed over all other nations was that they had God's Word. They had been entrusted with the very oracles of God. Here's the point. So have you and I. That has been the privilege that has been passed on to us as believers in Jesus Christ. We have the authority of God's Word. And it is our responsibility. We have been entrusted with these words to pass it along from generation to generation. That's why it... it, it, Hey, what's it, Gunner? How have you been? Good to see you, buddy. We have been entrusted to every generation to pass on these words. That's why it it boggles my mind to any pastor of any church that doesn't concentrate on teaching the Word of God. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. What must he think? How must he study the Bible to to think that he can be so flippant about teaching the Word of God? 
It is our responsibility as a church. It is my responsibility as, as one of you to teach this. And if, and if I were to drop dead today or tomorrow, the next person that comes, you, you, must, you must make him teach it or, or leave. Don't stay. The Word of God must be taught. It is everything. We have been entrusted with the most precious gift that anybody could ever receive. And that is the very words of God to us on how to, to live out our lives. It's phenomenal. And so we are, as we study and learn the Word of God week in, week out, is a, a great privilege. Yet, in all of that, does, does someone just coming to church guarantee that they're saved? No. In the same way, just as someone who is a Jew who has been circumcised, does that guarantee that they would be righteous before God? No. No. The circumcision has to happen within the very innermost being of us. Our, our very hearts have to be pierced by the very trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Our Lord said to a group of self-righteous uh, Jewish people that were following him when he walked this earth in John chapter 5 and verse 39. It's a great verse. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And then he says this, listen, it is in these, it is in these words, it is in this that you search that you will, it, that you will bear witness of me. The reason you and I study this is eternal life, yes. But reason we look at this so closely is we understand and, and get a glimpse of who Jesus is more and more clearly with each passing time we study the Bible. It's all about Him. Every word is about Him. It's all about who He is. And so when Paul says, you've been you've been." given great benefits. You have first been given the very oracles, the very word of God. You see, belonging to a Christian church is much like being a Jew. An outward identity with a body of believers is no benefit to an unbeliever until they come to trust in Christ. Just as circumcision for a a Jewish boy, what is it, eight years old? Is that the time that they're, they're supposed to be circumcised? Eight days? Did I say years? Eight days. I'm sorry. Eight years? Eight days? He has no idea what's happening. He has no idea what is happening to his body. That circumcision to him is of no value. It's all about one's heart. But an unbeliever who walks into the corridors of this church when we teach the Word of God has a great advantage because they are then exposed to the teaching of God's Word. And, and we learn from Isaiah, the 55th chapter, the 11th verse, the Word of God, it says, will not return back to God empty. Isaiah 55, 11 says, it will accomplish what God desires. It will succeed, Isaiah says, in the manner for which he, God, sent it out. That's why I asked the Lord to, to move me aside. That's why I asked the Lord to, to, to allow him to, to do whatever he wants within this, this service that we have. 
I love the verse, Isaiah 55, 11, because it takes all the pressure off of those of us who teach, and it places all the pressure where it belongs, right on our Lord. He will accomplish what He so desires in your life. And that's why I say, move me aside. I mean, let the Lord speak to you and to you and to you and to you and to me. And and each one of us have something different that we're here for tonight. And God is capable to speak to every single one of us to where we need Him at that moment. That's why it's so invaluable for you to have a a deep-rooted walk with Jesus Christ so that He can... You can, you can feel Him as close to you as breathing. That's my goal here. That's my goal before I die. I, I want to, I want to so, somehow, way pass along to you as well as I pass along to myself the very essence of who Jesus Christ is within each of our lives. We have been given much. We have been given the oracles of God so that we might be able to understand Him. He might be able to speak to our souls. Back to Romans chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Then Paul says, well, what then? If some didn't believe, will their unbelief nullify the faithfulness of God? No, of course not. Just because they don't believe doesn't mean that means, doesn't mean that God doesn't do His work. He goes on to say some of the strongest words in this place in Scripture. It says, may it never be. That's a very, very strong statement. Rather, he says, let God be found true and every other, everybody else be found a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. What Paul is doing is calling attention to the difference between man and the difference between man and God. That's what he's been doing from the very get-go. Those who said they don't know God, don't care about God, don't believe there's a God. He says, you're without excuse. God's made himself known to you. Same thing to those that say, well, we try to do good things. We're working our way to heaven. He says, that doesn't do you any good. Paul is chipping away at the very foundation of what they, what they believe that is false, and he's bringing them to the light of Jesus Christ. This is fantastic stuff, folks. You see, by nature, you and I are covenant breakers. By that, I mean we don't always tell the truth. We try, maybe. We don't always keep our promises. We try, maybe. But not God. God always speaks the truth when He speaks. He always keeps His promises. And so as Paul writes in verse 4, may that never be, may it never be. Let God be found true and everyone else a liar. The point that, that Paul is making is God is always righteous, both in His words as well as in His actions or in His judgments. Every commentator that I read concerning verses 3 and 4 took us, took me anyways, to, to, to King David in the 51st Psalm, the fourth verse. It's what a, one of the great verses in Scripture. It relates back to what, what Paul was saying here in Romans 3, verse 4, talking about what God says as well as how God judges. Listen to what King David said. King David in this place in Scripture, is acknowledging his sin before God. King David's greatest trait was that when he was, a, when he was confronted with his sin, he didn't blame it on someone else. He took hold of it, and he dealt with it. 
That's a good lesson in and of itself. If that's the only lesson you and I learn tonight, that's good enough. Listen to what David says in Psalms 51, verse 4. He says, speaking to God, against you and you only I have sinned. Now, wait a minute. He killed Bathsheba's husband Uriah, had him killed. And he committed adultery with her. And yet he says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. I have done, he says, evil in your sight. Now listen to what he says. So that you, God, are justified when you speak and you are blameless when you judge. A great place in Scripture. He is justified by the words that he speaks, God, and he is blameless when he judges us. Contrary to the thinking of most Jews, back to Romans chapter 3, not only Jews, but any and everybody, contrary, salvation has never been offered to anyone, Jew or Gentile, on the basis of anything other than faith. In the Old Testament, they trusted that God was going to come and the Messiah would come and set up His kingdom. And they looked forward to that day. Old Testament saints look forward and they find themselves, if they would have lived long enough, at the cross of Jesus Christ. New Testament, you and me, we look backward at the cross and we trust by faith that Jesus Christ died for us. They looked forward to the cross, not knowing what was going to happen. We look backward and know that the cross is where the forgiveness of our sin happens. And we all meet, Old and New Testament saints alike, by one word, faith. That's all it is. Faith. And so contrary to their thinking, salvation was never offered to them by circumcision. Salvation is not offered to anyone just because they go to church. It is a, person, it is a, a moment of faith. Now, Paul gets into this section, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, that is a little hazy for me. And it is the whole idea if, of grace. If, if God can be glorified by our doing bad, let's do worse and make Him look better. That's what they're thinking. He's going to beat back the human logic that says that God is glorified by the sins of you and me. Our unfaithfulness, they reasoned with Paul, will bring glory to God. Because it'll look like He forgives us more. It'll make Him look better. Now, lest the reader conclude that Paul is expressing God's thought about this, he adds in verse 5 that he is speaking in human terms. That is, he is speaking according to their logic, not God's logic. In verse 6, to intensify his disclaimer, he says, may this never be. He says that, 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 that in other words, strong, strong words, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? Obviously, God does not encourage or condone sin. 
in order to glorify himself. Maybe this is a message for some of you. Maybe some of you like that defensive back with the Rams thinks, I'm going to go out and have a great time. I'll ask God to forgive me now, or I'll ask him to forgive me later, but I'll still do that. Don't think like that. God does not encourage or condone sin. And if any sin enhances God's glory or grace, then all sin would do it. In other words, then then Satan, above any and everyone else that ever lived on this earth, could go before God and stand at the judgment seat and say to God, man, I deserve the greatest reward you got. Because no one has ever done more of a greater kindness to the human race than me because I delivered Jesus Christ to be crucified because without me there would have been no atonement. So God, reward me. That's not the way it goes. No, Paul concludes this very brief section by simply stating verse 8. No, he says, no. May their condemnation be just. In other words, they deserve what they're going to get. Judas has no, or Satan has no basis upon which to claim a reward from God. Neither does anybody who openly and wantonly sins. It's an irrational distortion of truth to conclude that God's righteousness is enhanced by our unrighteousness. Verse 8, let's do evil so that good might come. That's human logic. You see, when true grace is taught, that's where it will spiral to if we don't really understand our love and deep devotion to our Lord. Now Paul is going to conclude this section of Scripture. He's going to conclude it by bringing mankind before the judgment seat of God and the accusation of guilty to everyone who has to stand before God without faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to roll to at the end of chapter 3. Their condemnation, he says in verse 8, is just. Why? Because verse 23, Paul says, For all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Only Jesus Christ will save you and me. This judgment, Paul says, is made by God against everyone. As it says in in, in verse 9, as we'll see next week, what then, are we better than they? No. He says, I've already charged that both Jews and Greek, they're all under sin. For that matter, everyone, black, white, male, female, rich, poor, we all stand before the judgment seat of God until we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's where Paul is taking these dear people in Rome. That's Paul's point. From chapter 1 to this place in Scripture, he is, in, he is saying it doesn't matter who you are. You can be a Jew and have all the heritage in the world, or you can be a Gentile and do all the good things in the world that you want to do. Without faith in Christ, all of that is worthless, Paul is saying. And his final response to this slanderous critic who is short but pointed to those who teach or those who believe that they can do anything they want and God is willing and ready to forgive them and they'll make him look better because he's kinder, because he's forgiven them of more. He says, no, 
your condemnation is just. just. It's deserved. We are guilty before God if that's the way you want to live. This is such a rich place. Paul is, is so reaching out to those people in Rome, and I'm trying to reach out to you. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know all of you, or I, I believe all of you have, have trusted in Christ. I, I trust in that. And so what I'm trying to do is to make you and me see how blessed we are. How utterly blessed we are as a people. What advantage is it to go to church? Oh, it's great. It's great in every measure because we have been entrusted the very Word of God. And we are to pass it along to our, our children and, 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 and to those that we come in contact with. And, and, and Paul is going to teach us eventually that, that our growth in Christ is critical. Our walk with Christ is critical. We need to be a people that really understand all that God has given to us and live like it day in and day out. Now, thank God for 1 John 1, 9. If we, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us because all of us are sinners. That's the truth. We don't have to languish. What's the word? Linger. Huh? Thank you. Languish in it. We don't have to linger in it. Confess it. Move on. Anyways, let's pray. Thank you, Father. You are a very loving God. And it is really fun, Lord, that you gave us someone like Paul. I I know, Father, your son, Jesus Christ, is everything to us. Uh, We understand that, but well, I just really love Paul. I, I just love him, Father. I can't wait to see him someday. I wonder what in the world he must look like. Lord, bless us as we go from here. Thank you for everyone here. It's very kind that these people come, Lord. And I pray that we will be a church that you've called us to be, that we will be a just a blessed group of people who bless you at every turn. Bless our kids, our grandkids. Bless our families, our loved ones. Bless those who are far from us and those who are near. Watch over all of them, Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. Thank you for being here.